Ezekiel chapter 33, we've been going through, we've been stuck on quite a while on the judgment of the other nations or surrounding nations, and now uh, for the first time in seven years, uh, God is going to speak to Ezekiel and tell him to speak to uh, the nation of Israel. Now, of course, he had been speaking to him about those other nations, but uh, Ezekiel hadn't spoken to the nation of Israel for seven years in this time frame. So chapter 33 is uh, verse 1 will begin and we'll, we'll take this apart verse by verse. Verse 1, again, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them. Now notice to whom he is directing this. He is directing this towards the children of Israel. So it's very clear, this is not a passage about the church or this dispensation of grace, but it is a passage that Ezekiel is supposed to take to the children of Israel. Notice what he tells them. When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman. Now, everyone in this time would understand what a watchman was. The watchman would be one who would be in an elevated platform, who would watch the territory that he was protecting. Invading armies would come. He would see them afar off. He would sound and a warn, an alarm, an alert to let the people know that the impending army or enemy was coming. So that's what God tells Ezekiel. He says <clears throat> they should take a man and set him up their coast and set him for the watchman. Look at verse 3. If when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people. He would see the people coming. He would blow the trumpet, sound the trumpet. It would warn the people. Verse 4. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning. Boy, there is right here, all, even all the way back in the Old Testament, is personal accountability. All right. The watchman was to sound off, but the hearer had the responsibility of heeding the warning. And, you know, it's just amazing to me. We have God's Word complete today. The warning is here, but we have to heed the warning. We have to take it. We have to listen. And what he says, And take not warning. If the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. It's his own fault. He'll be responsible for it because he heard the warning, but he did not heed the warning. And so it would, his blood would be upon his own head. Verse 5, He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. In other words, <clears throat> what would happen was he would hear the warning, he would take heed, he would do what he had to do to protect himself, and he would be delivered from that impending danger. Now look at verse 6. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if, warned, if the sword come, sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So in other words, if the watchman didn't sound and the people were not warned, they would still be judged in their iniquity, but the blood would be upon the watchman's hands. Now look at verse 7. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee, you, Ezekiel, a watchman unto the house of Israel. What does the watchman do? The watchman is to sound the warning. I set you a watchman. Therefore... Thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. 
God was making it crystal clear that Ezekiel is to be the watchman of Israel. God would give Ezekiel the message, the warning, and he would warn the people. God would not hold him harmless if he refused to give the warning. If he didn't give what God told him to give, he would be responsible as well as the people be responsible for their own iniquity. He would be responsible for his own iniquity and not warning. And he says this, When I say unto the wicked, verse 8, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that the wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy, your soul. In other words, if you give the message I have told you to give them, you warn them, and they do not heed you, they do not listen to you, they will die in their iniquity, and their blood will be up on their own hands. I will not require of you. You will deliver your soul. God says, when you give the message, they're responsible for hearing and doing. Now, look at verse 10. Therefore, O son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? God says, You say this unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of wicked, of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? So God gives us an interesting thing in this. They ask a rhetorical question. God says that they would ask, what if they ask, if the house of Israel says, if our transgressions and our sins be upon us, then how can we get away from them? And God answers by resounding saying this, that he does not take pleasure, pleasure in destroying the wicked. God is not up there, and some people don't understand this. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not some distant deity in the sky waiting to just kill everybody and angry at the, the evil and the wicked. He wants them to repent. He wants them to turn from their evil. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 9, when people had talked about the return of the Lord and said, Yeah, you all been promising for years that the Lord's coming back. And Peter says, God is not slack concerning his promise, as men count slackness, but is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all men should come to repentance. And so what he is telling us is that there is a way God has described and prescribed for man. To come, man turns from his, he repents, he turns from his evil and turns to God and receives that perfect gift. And so we've got to get this out of our mind that, yeah, God likes Christians and he doesn't like or love non-Christians. God loves them and he doesn't, he doesn't take delight or pleasure in destroying the wicked. He wants them to come to faith. Now, will they come to faith? No. Not all of them. We wish they would, right? I mean, that's a sad thing. How many of us know someone who's unsaved that 
has no, they're indifferent to the gospel message. They don't think they need to be saved. They don't care less. And they don't, you know, they don't want to do that. And so what he is saying is, he doesn't take pleasure in this. But notice what he says. Verse number 12. Therefore thou son of man say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. You can't have a vicarious righteousness through someone else. You might have been righteous here, but you might be not righteous now, and so living in wickedness is not going to save you. Notice what he says. Follow it along with me. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Someone who is wicked, who turns in repentance to the Lord, will not die in his wickedness. So what is God saying there? God is saying, Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. If a righteous person is sinning, God is saying, and he's speaking of death, he's saying that if you're righteous, but you, you forsake that righteousness and you're living in wickedness, or you're wicked and then you, you turn to righteousness, what God is saying is not that original condition you were in, it's what you're doing when God says it's time. Now, let me just stop here and, and clarify this for just a moment because um, he is talking about the nation of Israel and he is talking about physical death. He's not talking about spiritual death. He's not talking about salvation. So when I talk about this, I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about salvation by grace and losing your salvation. That's not what we're talking about. What he is talking about is, remember he said he takes no pleasure in the, wick, in the wicked dying, dying a death. He's talking to the nation of Israel of physical death. That's what he's speaking about. And what he is saying is, if, if a soul, this, these children of Israel, if they would continue in wickedness, God would take them out. The Bible says if we come over in the New Testament, there is a sin unto death. If you claim to be a believer or follower of Jesus Christ and you can continually live in sin, I don't know when it is, but God can say enough's enough and I'm going to take you out. And here's the thing. When we get over into this last chapter, we'll see. Some people say, well, what would be so bad about that? You know, I go to heaven. Yeah, but listen, you have to stand and give an account before the Lord. Let me just remind you that everyone that saw the resurrected Jesus Christ in the New Testament, it was a life-changing event. It was not something that was a casual, no big deal. Just the very seeing caused them to fall on their face. John said it fell on his face as though he were dead. So we've got this notion that heaven is, if we just get there, we're all floating on clouds and playing harps and eating grapes. And that's not it. There's accountability. And what we do faithfully for the Lord now determines what we do faithfully throughout eternity. If you're little, if you're a faith with little, I'll make you ruler of much. And so he says, if someone is a righteous person and they are continuing in sin and they become wicked and wicked and wicked, God will take them. They'll die. They'll die in their sin. And if someone is um, a wicked person and they turn from their wickedness, they'll live. He's talking about physical death. And it's, it, notice what he says. Let me read it again. Verse 13. 
When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trust his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all of his righteousness shall be not remembered. But for his iniquity that he hath committed, what's going to happen? He shall die for it. Die. It's clear God is sending the message to the nation of Israel that whether they live or die depends on whether they're wicked or righteous. And you say, well, man, that's pretty... How can anybody... Um, how can anyone be righteous? How many of you are reading through Numbers? How many of you just came through Leviticus in our Bible daily Bible reading? We've come through all that ritualistic things they had to do. And I'm thinking, I'm praising God that I'm on this side of the cross. And I'm, uh, I just thank God because all of this... I would have, as a priest... I would have been nothing more than a butcher, sacrificing animals all day long, sun up, sun down, all day long. And I thank God that there remaineth no more sacrifice for our sin, the Lord Jesus. And again, God is telling Ezekiel, this is what I want you to tell them. Notice verse 14. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die if he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right. Thou shalt... Surely die, <clears throat> again, let me read it again, verse 14. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. we got to stop, pause there for a moment, semicolon. If he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right, if the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed, walk in the statues of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. So he says, listen, if I say unto the wicked, you're going to die, and then he turns from his sin, and he does all these things, then he'll live. It's that simple. God says, if I tell you, if you do this, you're going to die, and you turn from it, then you won't die. I mean, it's cut and dried here. There's no other meaning. It is the meaning here. Look at verse 16. None of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right. He shall surely live. The whole point is, is when God says, don't do this or, uh, or you're going to die and you don't do it, you do exactly what he says, then you'll live. If you disobey him, you'll die. That's the, that's what he said. If you, in this matter, if you're doing this wicked practice and God said, don't do that wicked practice and you stop doing that wicked practice and you turn from that evil, God's going to forget it. That's what he's telling the nation of Israel. Look at verse 17. Yet the children of thy people, the way of the Lord is not equal, but as for them, their way is not equal. So let me read that again because my Bible has a line right to it and I have to go up and then come back down. Yet the children of thy people say, the way of the Lord is not equal, but as for them, their way is not equal. So what they're actually saying is, the children of the people say, well, the way of the Lord is not equal. It's not fair. But God says, it is fair. Everyone can turn from their wickedness and do righteous. Why? Because God told you you could. Again, we're speaking to the nation of Israel. Don't confuse this with dispensation of grace and being saved. He's talking to the nation of Israel. He's telling them, 
Look at verse 18. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. How do you say, God says, how do you say this is not equal? If the righteous turn from his righteousness to wickedness and does that thing that I told the wickedness, the wicked people not to do, and they turn from it and live, if the righteous turn to that and start doing it, then they're going to die. That is equal, God says. It is equal. Verse 19, But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. Yet ye say, The way of the Lord is not equal. O ye house of Israel, I will judge you every one after his ways. Right there it is. Individual accountability. Everyone will be judged according after his ways, he tells the nation of Israel. Now when we come to verse 21, this is, uh, we're turning a point here, a corner in the book of Ezekiel. Now we're going to focus on on Israel and uh, we're going to start thinking about future things, talking about the kingdom, and we're going to talk about a lot of things coming up here. And this is where we start to take that corner. So look at verse 21. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the twelfth month, in the fifth day of the month, that one that had escaped out of Jerusalem came unto me, saying, The city is smitten. For all these years, Ezekiel had prophesied against Israel, against Jerusalem. Now the city is destroyed. Someone comes, some estimate six months after it happened, it got the news arrived to Ezekiel there in Babylonian captivity. Notice what he says in verse 22. Now the hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening, afore he that was escaped came. So in other words, the night before the man comes and tells him that the city is destroyed, the night before he opened my mouth until he came unto me in the morning and my mouth was opened and I was no more dumb. For Remember, for approximately seven years, he had not spoken to Israel. Ezekiel hadn't. Seven years. Now God's going to open his mouth to Israel. Verse 23. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, they that inhabit those wastes of the land of Israel speak, saying, Abraham was one, and he inherited the land, but we are many, the land is given us for inheritance. Now, those who waste or wastes of the land of Israel, that was the remnant left over from the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And these people were actually so arrogant and so bold to say, as because perhaps maybe they survived, that if the promise was made to one person, Abraham, how much more to us, being a great many of people, is the land given to us an inheritance? Rather than to seek God in all this and turn to God, they're again calling back on themselves as being, you know, super spiritual blessed people because they didn't get wiped out and the promise was made to Abraham. And if it was made to Abraham, how much more of the land would they get to possess because they were a larger group than Abraham? And notice what God says to Ezekiel to tell them, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, 
They that inhabit those wastes of the land of Israel speak, saying, Abraham was one, he inherited the land, but we are many, and the land is given us for inheritance. Verse 25, Wherefore, say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Ye eat with blood, and lift up your eyes towards idols. In these two verses here, God is going to tell Ezekiel six sins specifically that Israel was doing. If they're so bold to challenge God, God's going to turn right back around them and tell them, listen, these six things have you done. Look, he said, you ate meat with the blood in it. Remember part of the law, they're not eat meat with the blood. Blood's the life. You lift up your eyes toward idols. You worship idols. You shed blood. You possess the land. You stand upon your sword. You work abomination and you defile everyone, his neighbor's wife and and shall ye possess the land? God names these six sins and says, You think you deserve to possess the land? Say thou thus unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, As I live, surely they that are in the wastes shall fall by the sword, and him that is in the open field will I give to the beast to be devoured, they that be in the forts and in the caves shall die of pestilence. For I will lay the land most desolate, and the pomp of her strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be desolate, that none shall pass through. Verse 29, Then shall they know that I am the Lord when I have laid the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. Now, he can't be talking about the fall of Jerusalem because it's already happened. What's he talking about? He's talking about the tribulation period. And he is saying that it doesn't matter where they hide, that land is going to be desolate. They're going to fall by the sword. And the beasts will eat the carcasses. We know that Revelation talks about a time during the tribulation period when the beasts will feed on the carcass. We know all these things are going to happen during the tribulation period. But let me tell you one more severely than that. Behind this, behind all this backdrop of all of this that God's going to pour out on them, behind that backdrop is still what he said a few verses earlier when he said, I will judge you everyone after his ways. You know how severe the tribulation period is going to be? It, it will pale in comparison to those who go and face God in the judgment not right with God. And so behind all of this backdrop of this, this awful, atroc- this horrible uh, events that are going to take place during the tribulation period pales in comparison to the wrath of God. Let me remind you of the wrath of God. Remember when Jesus was in the garden, He was praying, let this cup pass by me? Jesus wasn't praying about the physical beatings and things that were going to take place. Jesus was not drop, uh, sweating great, great drops of blood because he was worried they were going to beat him and pluck the beard out of his face and give him uh, this uh, vinegar to drink and all this. What, God, what Jesus was sweating great drops was is that he would have to bear the wrath of God. That's the bitter cup to which he was talking about. And I come back to this nation of Israel and I tell them, 
And I see this, excuse me, I don't tell them anything, they're gone. But I see this and I read this, and what gets me is the grace that's in this. God is simple. If you're wicked, turn. Those of you that are righteous, stay. That's his message. You don't die. Stay. Now, we know that eventually everybody on this earth is going to die unless the Lord comes back in time and we get raptured up. That would be cool. But we know that it's appointed unto man once to die, but next the judgment. The Bible teaches that. Hebrews 9.27. And notice what he says. I'm going to do all these. And then they'll know that I am the Lord. When I've laid the land most desolate because of their abominations which they have committed. Look at verse 30. Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and the doors of the houses. They speak to one another, everyone to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words. But listen, but, contrast, they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. They're still talking when they're by the wall and all this place about how they're so good for God and everything and how they love God and all this. But he says, when you get down to the bottom line, they hear my words, but they will not do them because their mouth show much love, but their hearts goeth after covetousness. Lip service. They're not. Remember, um, uh, James chapter 1 and verse 22 tells us to be uh, not only hearers of the word, but hearers and doers of the word. God says, I'm going to pour this judgment out. You warn them. If the wicked will turn from their wickedness, they'll live. If the righteous turn from their wickedness, they'll die. It's a simple message. And God says, listen, this is the judgment that's coming. But they don't have to do that. They can turn. But a lot of them hear the words, but they don't, they don't, they don't believe it in their heart. Look at verse 32. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song, one <clears throat> that hath a pleasant voice and can play well an instrument, for they hear the words, but they do them not. Oh, they'll sing the songs, they love it, they go on about how great the song is, how great the message is, but they don't do it. And when this cometh to pass, parentheses, lo, it will happen, it will come, then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. <clears throat> Simple message. God's speaking to the nation of Israel, if you want to live, do. If you don't want to live, don't do. And Ezekiel's message warned them that if the wicked do wicked, they'll die. If the righteous do wicked, they'll die. God's equal. He's not playing games. If the uh, righteous will, will do righteous, they'll live. If the wicked will turn from their sin and do righteous, they will live. But if they won't, certain judgment will come. Everyone will stand and give an account for God. 
and, and, and I just want to say this, and, and, and I, you know, I, got, I can't stress this enough in this passage of Scripture. God is getting ready to reveal some incredible things about the restoration of Israel coming up in this book, in the book of Ezekiel. God's not finished with Israel and the restoration. But they have to know, just as in every dispensation, they have to know what God expects of them. And God said, Ezekiel, you are the watchman. You have been given the responsibility to warn them about this. Don't be out praising the Lord and in your heart worshiping idols, he says. Do the commands. Now, I thank God that we are not under the law. According to the Scriptures, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to grace. The law shows us our need for a Savior. It shows us that we are sinners. And if the law is used, as I will say, Paul says, lawfully, it shows us that we fall short of God's glory. And as a result of that, we turn from our own righteousness, we turn from our own attempts at trying to get to God, and we trust in His finished work. We're turning from our sin, turning to Him. And I thank God for that. Thank God we don't have to keep some 613 Mosaic laws. We don't have to do because Jesus already did. Now, obviously we need to be doers of the Word. But we do that because we're saved, not to be saved. And so, God is preparing Israel for their future, but He has to tell them they can't be doing wicked and have a future with God. And so, that is His message to them. Yeah, you, you sing it, you say it, you talk about it, but your hearts are far from your mouth. You know, Jesus even said that in the New Testament. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. The beautiful cohesion of the old and new. And Jesus being the fulfillment of all those prophecies. And I think of Ezekiel chapter 33. And real quickly, a summarization. God tells Ezekiel, I made you a watchman. You warn him. What's he supposed to warn him? Be doers of righteousness. Forsake wickedness. Be doers of righteousness. Why? Because everyone's going to give an account to God. That's the message. God says you do that, you'll live. You don't, you won't. That's the bottom line. And so, I would say, God meant business. As He always did in His Word. And I would tell you, the nation of Israel still will struggle, but we'll see this unfolding future for them in upcoming studies.